But that's just scratching the surface of what a permaculture building could be. Inspired from permaculture, uh, but applied uh, for buildings. Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Vine podcast. Uh, I'm Cormac Harkin and today I'm delighted to welcome Joe Petroni on the show. Welcome, Joe. Hi, Cormac. Thank you uh, for having me. Delighted to have you. I'm looking forward to hearing about uh, permaculture and architecture and, and, and how it comes together. Do you want to just give yourself a quick 30 second introduction there, please? Of course. Uh, I am Joe. I'm an architect, and uh, my focus is on the way permaculture um, blends with our built environment. Uh, I've been doing this for about 10, 15 years. That's great. So we always start at the start with our guests. Just where did you hear about permaculture and how did you, how did you start your journey on it? I was an architect uh, doing conventional architecture with my father, who was also an architect. Um, and that was gradually growing disillusioned in all of that. Um, and felt, you know, there's there must be something more to to the deep reason why I started doing this uh, this profession. And about, I want to say, 12-ish years ago, um, I discovered Bill Mollison's book. And I took it with me to my father's newly bought small property in a rural um, area. Um, and as I sat in the spring afternoons, looking at the orchard in bloom, uh, I was reading Bill Mollison's book and David Holgram's, of course. Um, so reading, I was reading Permaculture and through those couple of nice breezy weeks um, in the countryside, my whole view of, of the way we build and we, the way we make places shifted um, and clicked into something much more zoomed out um the orchard in a way was already was beginning to be a part of my work in a way it hadn't been before and this the spring um flowing into a river started being a part of my work which it hadn't done before and the air and the orchard and everything was starting to be a part of my work um and that opened up the um, the way for from architecture, which is exactly what it says on the uh, uh, blending permaculture principles to uh, the architecture space. And so I've started applying um, the permaculture principles to um, the way I built and the way I worked and developed a framework of sorts that I call listen to your land um which is basically uh a a land site analysis um inspired from permaculture uh, but applied uh for buildings for for building on the site and is that uh is that you on the site physically or can you do that remotely I can do that remotely, and I have been doing this for uh, for a while now. 
uh, I started doing remote work with my dad because I was traveling and he was uh, slowly retiring. Um, but we still had ongoing on and off projects. And we started doing Zoom and share, share screen sharing way before it was cool, way before uh, COVID happened, way before the whole uh, Zoom revolution. Um, and I got a hang of it. I started doing it with, with clients and permaculture buffs, mainly off-grid enthusiasts. Um, permaculture for a lot of years was about coaching off-griders and permaculture people um, into making their zone zero, making their house, the house part of their uh, permaculture property and homes or homestead. Um, and integrating all of the elements of the site in a way that makes sense for, for that house, for that um, built space. Right. So now, so how did, how did you go then? So it was just the book that you learned off or did, how, did, how did you learn more about it then about the permaculture side? How did you set about sort of, did you do a course or did you, are you self-taught? I am a bookworm. I'm a, starting over. I'm a bookworm. I've studied everything. I took, I took all that there was. I at that time there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot uh, to begin with, um, as a content wise and permaculture courses wise. Um, but I did. I went through all of that. <laughs> I went through everything and. Uh, and I've been learning ever since. I mean, it's an ongoing thing. And lately it's been permaculture has been evolving into what we today call regenerative. Um, permaculture is the forefather of regenerative uh, design and regenerative agriculture. And then of course, regenerative everything, including architecture. And so my focus now, even though it is, um, it's inherited an inherited thought from uh, permaculture, uh, but what I do today is called regenerative architecture. Right. So if you take it back then from just before that two weeks in spring, we discovered the book up until now. What's been the biggest shift in your the way you look at the architecture? Is there anything significant that would stand out? The Breaking of the silos of specialization. Permaculture has an instinctive um, systems thinking approach to things, an integrated approach to things, and it works with complexity because it started with nature. Whereas architecture started with or lately, it starts from engineering. It starts from uh, things that you know. And so it went in, into this um, hyper-mechanized way of seeing things that's, that we see around us in general. Um, and so what we're trying to do now is bring complexity back, bring... Uh, and biomimicry is a is a lot of that. It brings the systems thinking and the complexity 
back into whatever your work is. And in my case, it's architecture. Um, so I think systems, understanding systems thinking um, has been the most important step uh, here. Because before that, perm architecture was a lot of bioclimatic design, passive, which is the Euro European word for passive solar design. And, um, and, and of course, it's important to understand the land in a way that you can use to make your house more efficient. But it can be so much more than that. You can add so many layers of, of goodness, of, of good design. And once you open up that box, it's, um, it's an incredibly fun play field. Right. So I, I get an imaginary 10 acres tomorrow and, and I, I call you up and say, I need some help here. Like how, how do you sort of, what's, what's that process like? Like, and then how do you, how do you take me then to look at the land and the property different and what, um, the different options? <laughs> It's a, it's an inner journey, uh, building, uh, finding a place and getting, being in love with it and buying it and planning something for it, envisioning a brighter future for it. And so there's a lot of um, right brain, left brain thinking here. Um, of course, you have all of the straightforward left brainish. ish uh, measurements that you need to do with a place but then you have all the poetry and spirit uh what we call genius loci the spirit of the place um meditative sketching uh listening so the whole thing with listening to the land with listen to your land uh as a methodology is is blending these two understandings or these two categories of understanding uh, a place. So we shift um, we shift gear a lot and we have a lot of zooms and um, and every place is different. Um, so it's a matter of not only understanding together what the inherent potential of the place is, but also to, if you want, commune with the place and understand what it wants to say, uh, what its what its history is, um, all of the layers of understanding that you can have. Um, the geological history of the place can be a fantastic way to understand what you can do with it. Um, the watershed state. Um, the, so the watershed is the whole water system that your land is a part of. And water is such an important part of, of, a, of a place and of placemaking in general. Um, that for me, that's sort of, and in permaculture as well, is the, is the first place that you start with, right? Um, so understanding how you can with your land project, regenerate the watershed um, and how the building can help with that. Um, 
is also a very, very important step. It's a, I want to say complex. <laughs> it's a spiral. It, it, sometimes I call it a, a, a messy spiral. It's a messy spiral towards um, growing potential. Right. So it's like the permaculture principle, observe, interact. Then you get the practical side. You take your measurements. You look where the water's going. You look where your restrictions are. And then you get a feel of the place. And then sort of let, uh, would that be a fair summary? And then design yeah, around them. Oh, that's just the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you look at the you look at the way of course the way the sun um is on your uh the sun's path on your um land is the main technical so right left brain um information that you need to gather and that's for for your building in most temperate um locations getting a south facing um general layout of your house is the most uh simple and straightforward and cost effective ways of getting a house more efficient um getting to uh, warm up easily and cool down just as fast um but then you can have so many other elements. It's like, um, it's like those Japanese um, games, like they go. You have just a couple of elements, but then you can make so many things out of them. It goes into into infinity, because the the elements of a house are relatively simple as well. You have bedrooms or places to sleep you have places to eat you have places to cook you have places to spend time together there's not a lot to a house and yet you have millions and millions and millions of ways to build a house there's no house that's the same as its neighbor i mean today there there are <laughs> but in traditional cultures um from one place to the other you have a different way of of layouting a house and of making it interact with its environment. And it's because every environment and every place is different. Yeah, I think I know the answer to this next question, but so do you focus on a particular style of house or ah. yeah, are you, are you, <laughs> are you open to listening to, to the land and, and all that? Um... Style is a very interesting and tricky uh, topic because style usually usually arises from context they are it's always a response to a cultural context just as fashion is fashion always starts as a counter to an existing fashion um as a as an active response to a context and so when you take a style or a fashion and you put it in another context, so all another context altogether, uh, like you would take elephant pants now and and bring them to say 
uh, the Senegal doesn't make sense because they're not they're not a response to that particular culture at that particular time. They're just something that you wanted to wear that day. And it's the same with, with house styles. Um, every single house style is a natural response to a particular environment. And of course, there's also the history of materials that goes into play and the history of 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 how we see ourselves as a culture towards nature and towards ourselves um, as a community. And architecture is very complex and that's what a lot of us architects like about it. <laughs> you can talk about <laughs> stuff like this for ages. It goes, as I call it, turtles all the way down. Yeah. So now, so we've had it now from the perspective of a buyer coming to you, what, what would that look like? As a as a permaculture designer, if I come to you and I say I, I have a client here, how would I work with you as a designer and you as an architect to get the best? How how would that what would that look like? Do you have a process for that? Is that the way you work? <laughs> and most of the permaculture um projects that I have been working with um for individuals require very little uh, local architect's uh, input. So there's, um, that's one part of it. But then um, as I gradually started working with um, eco-village design, regenerative neighborhood designs, uh, and other bigger scale projects, then it's always an integrated process with the, uh, with the local architect that does the trick because you can't go, you can't really can't do otherwise. But having a good architect on the spot on in the region is, is a godsend always with a good, with a project. Right. So I, I would have to have an architect and come to you. It depends on the, the country where you are. Yeah. And the, and the um, legislation, for uh for building in your particular region some right. some countries don't need an architect for most housing most a lot of countries don't need an architect for uh for housing i'm not really sure they need them here i'm not not, not entirely sure so you mentioned eco villages there can you tell us more about that and uh, and and your role in that Of course, when you start to work in the permaculture space and specifically in the uh, housing and construction space uh, there, um, bigger projects start to arrive that are basically all of them in the eco-village space. Um, and I feel like the... Like I feel like the eco village uh, wave is sort of waning, um, and the regenerative community age is starting. <laughs> and um, the the difference between those, even though they sort of sound the same, um, but with a different hat, um, the difference for me um, between them is that eco villages. The eco-villages that we've built through the last 
20, 30, even 40 years have been um, losing sight of the context where they are building, where they are doing them, making them. Um, there was a, there, there are a lot of um, very nice developments otherwise in places like say Costa Rica or um, uh, anywhere in South America, like in the Amazon, they buy cheap land and they go there and they make the new the new thing. Is the new eco village we're gonna you know start over is gonna be fantastic, um, but you never start over from scratch. That place where you build, the place that you bought, is never um, tabula rasa. No, nothing on it. It has a history. It has a culture. It has people in it, and and I think a lot of the um, uh, mm, misfires that we've had with eco village um, projects have been because of that. Um, at the same time, we've learned a whole lot from this period and um the regenerative movement is hopefully <laughs> learning the lesson and integrating this the nested systems idea from systems thinking as in your eco village is part of a wider system your system is part of a wider system and that system is part of a wider system and and so zooming out and understanding the role of that commu new community that you're building in the system, in the region where it is, and how you can potentiate and, and, and make both of them thrive, uh, that's, I feel, the new age for, for eco-villages. Like that's when it's going to start really clicking and really becoming um a mainstream yeah because when, when you say eco village to me there's there's it's like a village within a circle but when yep. you say regenerative community somewhere you can pass through <laughs> it's not, <laughs> nice uh, it's, it's not so closed off um so as an architect then what is your role in, in designing these sort of regenerative communities well, it depends on the project always. Um, it can be uh, coordinating. Uh, we've had a discussion uh, uh, two weeks ago about uh, with uh, other regenerative architects or architects in the regenerative space, let's call it. Let's call ourselves that way. <laughs> um, uh, about, about the role of architect as facilitator. Um, because... Once you understand that a project is an enormously, an infinitely complex set of moving parts, um, you have to relinquish the idea of control. <laughs> and that's very hard for us left-brained uh, societies. Um, we need data. We need to know that we can control outcomes. We need, you know, input versus output and stuff like that. And and the more complex a project is, the better, because the more 
um, relationships and connections you have between the moving parts of this project, the better. But we always try to dumb a project down in order to be able to contain it. Like this need for control that we have is is working against us. And, and so I think my answer is it depends on the project because some projects need um, some things and some others need something else. Um, and it's a matter of navigating all of these complexities without trying to trying to be in control of anything it's like be like water type of thing obviously <laughs> uh so uh so as a, a from an architect's point of view how would you advise an architect to try and uh integrate and learn more about the permaculture systems well, honestly, yeah, I was thinking about uh, making a permarchitecture uh, course for architects. Um, uh, so thank you for the plug. <laughs> it's not there yet, <laughs> but if we make a mailing list, then it could become a thing. Um, another uh, element that I've been slowly setting up is regenerative patterns. It is at regenerativepatterns.com. And it's a start of a project that visualizes patterns of regeneration for the built environment uh, in a graph way. So um, it's basically a graph of the connections between all of the elements of a project. Um, again, not trying to contain it, but trying to map the territory a bit. Um, and, and that has the potential to become a, a map of the innovation space in the regenerative architecture um, world, um, being becoming a first step for any architect that wants to um, to start on a on this journey uh, of becoming uh, of recalibrating their role um, as architects and as placemakers. And then. On the on the flip side, then as as a what advice would you give me as a permaculture designer to actually learn more about the architecture and how I can implement that more? Well, so as a permaculture trained individual, I think you're much more likely uh, to start with, uh, much more inclined uh, to understanding how all of the and navigating all of this because you are trained in systems thinking. You have an inherent understanding of systems thinking whereas an architect from the conventional trained in conventional architecture needs to shed the, this mechanistic view of the way we build um but what what you can add to your permaculture practice when you when you think about buildings is uh thinking more about the inherent potential of, of, of built spaces for making that place better. Um, our buildings can make us better people if we design them right. They can help us towards the goals that we've set for ourselves if we design them right. They can interact with the land and make the land better if we design them right. And 
And a lot of permaculture practice just goes, ah, oh, we need a shelter here is going to be, you know, we're going to make it out of straw bale and it's going to be fine. Um, but that's just scratching the surface of what a permaculture building could be. And so adding mindfulness uh, and conscious um, deliberation about the potential of those built spaces uh, can be a very good start. And understanding that they are always connected to their context. Um, so of course, starting with the vernacular um, inspiration, that is the way that traditionally it is being built in that specific context is a very good place to start always. And so starting with humility and understanding why other people have been doing houses this way here um, is great. And then uh, trying to add to that the layer of what we now know about uh, land regeneration, about um, uh, carbon footprints, about smart buildings, about you know all of the new about biophilia, how how humans are inherently in love with nature, and how we can bring that into our built environments. So all of these layers um, can be included in a permaculture project zone zero, and then it can be really nice. Right. So say, for example, I decide, right, I'm all under this architect stuff. I really want to dive deep. I follow them steps. It may take me a few years. What can I do now? Can I hire you or, or, or your services then instead to sort of to get myself two or three years ahead in the meantime? Yes, you can. Right. Yes, you can. And I can, uh, depending on the size of the project, either coach you um, online or do uh trips to the site advice for those looking to get in and the architecture and perma architecture um uh, someone starting out what would you advise them well i there's a book that i wrote a couple of years ago that's called listen to your land and it's completely free uh online at my Substack, uh which is also free um so that's i think a good start um uh, listen to your land is a guide for a starter's guide um, for you to read the land that you want to build something on and position, find the base, best place for a house. Um, and it helps you sort of fall in love with the place as you go along. There's also a checklist, it's illustrated, it's fun. And you can print it out and take the, take the checklist with you on the, on the site. Uh, which always comes in handy. Yeah, that's great. We'll put the link in the description for that, uh, so so we could share. Um, so what's what's your plans now for the future? Have you any anything, anything in the near future you're planning? I'm uh, building the regenerative patterns uh, website right now, and uh, looking to to co-create it with the with all the you know all the actors in this in this ecosystem um so that's a much more sort of technical technical world um of real estate 
professionals uh, from construction to interior design um, all the way to investment and local governments. Um, the aim of that is to completely recalibrate the industry uh, for the regenerative age. So it's a bold, it's a bold move, no pressure. Um, and along the way, I'm very happy to be involved in beautiful projects that are also bold and can, you know, envision a beautiful future. Um, one other project that is linked to that is um, the storytelling, a storytelling tool uh, to tell the complex stories of projects. So taking taking a complex project of regeneration um, and, and getting the process, the, the, the whole design process and putting it in the forefront to explain what goes on behind the hood um, to not only end users, but also um, potential investors, partners, local governments, um, and legislators and investors, etc. So, I think that convincing as many as many people as possible um, that regenerative and permaculture inspired um, development is the way to go, and that we need frameworks and legislation and money um, to make them happen. Um, is one of the important things that we need to do nowadays. I touched on something there. Um, do you have much trouble with the local legislation of trying to do things that you, you're not allowed to do? That just Long story short, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> how, how are you uh, overcoming them challenges? <laughs> Well, sometimes you don't, um, and sometimes you need to. You find you find the way to go around it. There's always, you know, there's always a lose lose part somewhere <laughs> when you implement. Um, and we're all experimenting, and everything's you know trotting along. Some places are easier to work with than others, um, like. Switzerland is a pain, for example, because it's so legislated uh, that even just implementing stuff like circular economy and, and circular circularity in materials is almost impossible. Um, so it depends on the place. Some places are cool with a lot of things. And also it depends a lot on the local authorities that you have to deal with because it's a people's thing as well. So if you're lucky enough to have a mayor that is into what you're doing and willing to experiment, that is the biggest step forward you can take. And that's why all this stakeholder agreement and alignment that we were talking before is so important. Because yeah. we can do and think as many you know, innovative ways, innovative ways to make a beautiful place happen if we don't have the legal infrastructure and the community engagement to do to actually implement them, let alone the money. But 
um we they just stop before they're even out of uh out of the blueprint because they won't happen yeah it's something that frustrates me that um you watch the news every night climate change fires all this thing they they throw at you but then they don't have the mechanism in place at local government for you to actually implement solutions and there's a big disconnect and it's like well Hold on a minute. I have a solution for you here, but you're not like, you're not letting me do it. <laughs> but you're telling me every night in the news that the world's ending, and it's like, right, you need to, you need to sort of join them two dots. Hopefully, it's starting to uh, to change fast. Um, and there's always this coordination that needs to happen between the top down and the bottom up. And I feel like from architecture has been a lot of bottom up ing for the past 10 years. Um, and only lately, I've, I sort of feel like I'm growing up and getting getting to the top-down pit of it as well, which is not fun, but it, I feel <laughs> like it needs to be done. And the and the money part of it, the, the sustainable, is coming back to eco-villages, one of the main reasons why a lot of them don't work is because they people don't think about money when they do them. They don't, so they don't build them into a sustainable uh, community. As you need, you you need to think smartly about money. In a way, you have you need, and if you don't have a healthy relationship with money, then uh, then it just becomes, you know, one of those shaggy hippie places, which we love. I'm a hippie, <laughs> but if we want to get this to mainstream, uh, we need to be more smart about it I think that's a very good place to actually finish up because that that's basically what this podcast is about is showing people different ways people in permaculture earning their career or earning their money because to me it's 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 necessary to have people earning money in it they make it sustainable because it has to grow uh Joe thank you very much that's been I think we've only scratched the surface there but uh it's been really interesting and uh thank you very much for for coming on and chatting us about perma architecture thank you Carmack. uh guys that was joe Bertone, and i keep forgetting to do this if you think you got value go and like subscribe and give me a thumbs up <laughs> it helps uh i suppose they said at the start but always forget and we'll chat these next week thanks cheer oh and uh i like to blow our course as well our pdcd professional course is coming out in September, where we take you from being a PDC graduate, teach you digital design, how to digital design the professional standard, client communications, how to extract the information to get the best out of design, and a few other things too about marketing, business, websites. But uh, that's been the Permaculture Vine podcast. I'll see you all next week. Cheers. Thanks, Joe. <laughs>